because God is our creator, we all have a human life created by God. Originally, it was good. And by and with our created human life, we can live in families, we can have friends, we can produce and try to live to some degree of peace in our societies. We may form a club. We may even establish a religion. All in the natural created human life. But with this life, we cannot fulfill God's eternal purpose that we become a corporate people expressing Him and representing Him. Concerning this, the Lord Jesus declared in a great prophecy, I will build my church. And as we trace the revelation concerning the church from that point on through the New Testament, especially in the writings of Paul, we see that this church is the body of Christ. Not the body of Jesus. The glorified body of Jesus is in the heavens. The body of Christ is a mystical, universal, yet altogether real corporate entity. The goal of God's economy is to produce and build up the church as the body of Christ. This is the will of God revealed in Romans 12. This is the will of God revealed in Ephesians. If the Lord is to have among us the reality of the body of Christ expressed as local churches. We, the believers, the children of God, need to learn how to live, not merely as humans, but to learn to live as actual children of God, sons of God. Only those who are willing and are receive grace to live the life of God's sons are then able to live in the body of Christ. What may actually happen and what has happened is that hundreds of dear beloved saints are brought into the genuine local churches in the Lord's recovery. They rejoice to be in the church life. They love the Lord. They love the church. They practice the church life. But they do not advance into living in the reality of the body. 
What this means is that we may miss the goal of God's economy and the goal of the Lord's recovery. And it often takes some years, both in our human life and in our Christian life and church life, until we become conscious of a deep and maybe mysterious hunger in our being. We're still in the church. We're not going anywhere. We will stand on this ground till Jesus comes. We know the truth concerning the ground of oneness. We will press on. But how do we explain this sense of deep within that something is lacking? I would like to try to help those who have encountered such a feeling to realize this is a positive sense originating from the Spirit to give you a hunger to advance. As you continue your normal human life, your Christian life, and your life in a local church, you will become gradually enlightened to see the Lord is after something intrinsic, yet real, something mysterious, yet experiential, and that is the reality of the body of Christ lived out in all the local churches. To refer to Brother Lee's way of expressing it, the local churches are the procedure, the reality of the body of Christ is the goal. It is possible that through our gospel preaching, a few million people could be saved compared to the billions on the earth. That's not a large number. And we may establish faithfully hundreds, maybe a few thousand local churches. But saving all these people and establishing all these churches will not in itself, bring the Lord Jesus back. What the Lord is looking for is a reality. His body, the corporate expression of Himself in these local churches. We have reached the point in the advance of the Lord's recovery that the goal of God's economy and the goal of the Lord's recovery are the same. The reality and building up of the church as the body of Christ in local churches. 
in order for this to happen, we need to actually learn to live not by our natural created human life, but by the divine life, the resurrection life of Christ in our regenerated spirit. This life, the divine life in our spirit, is the life of the body of Christ. But there is no manifestation of the body in its reality unless and until more and more saints actually live by the divine life which is the life of the body. This is what the Lord is waiting for. This is what He is praying for. This surely is the object, the central focus of His heavenly ministry because He said, I will build My church. This is what He is looking for. Is the church as the body of Christ actually being built up in local churches, established as the procedure? 22 years ago, when Brother Lee spoke on blending and spoke on the church as the procedure and the body is the goal, he said openly, he did not see the reality of the body of Christ anywhere, anywhere on the earth. How can his co-workers, his fellow ministers, ever forget that? I cannot. Now, 22 years later, I do believe there is some measure of the reality of the body of Christ emerging gradually in the churches. We need to realize, my brothers and sisters, that yes, we pay a price to leave religion, to leave the world, to consecrate, and to practice the church life. But you can be in the church life and live by your natural life until the end. There's no usher at the door with a kind of special device to detect whether or not you are naturally human or divinely human. There's no such criterion. When we have the Lord's table tomorrow, it's the Lord's table, not ours. It's for all the believers, not just us. There is, you don't have to prove 
I didn't live by my natural life this week. I lived by the divine life. But there has to be, I point out with desperation, there has to actually be a development in the lives of brothers and sisters where we're not merely practicing the church life which is indispensable. While we are doing that, we are touching the reality of the body of Christ. And because of this, we are willing to deny the self, to deny the natural life, and to actually live by the Christ who has the Spirit is our life now in our spirit. This is what the Lord is looking for. And this is what the overcomers will be. And what they will do. Overcomers are conquerors, are victors in a particular context. If you were in Ephesus, you overcame the loss of the first love. If you were in Smyrna, you were faithful unto death. If you were in Pergamos, you overcame the union with the world. If you were in Thyatira, you overcame the teaching of Jezebel. If you were in Sardis, you overcame deadness and incompleteness. If you were in Laodicea, the degraded recovered church, you overcome lukewarmness. Overcomers are victorious over whatever negative things are hindering God's purpose. And on the positive side, especially now in the age in which we are, overcomers build up the body of Christ. They overcome all the hindrances to the building up of the body of Christ. It was with this in mind that, would you believe it, 32 years ago, Brother Lee began to search the Scriptures to discover what is the way that God ordained for us to meet and serve. He did not ordain the clergy laity system. He did not originate one man giving a long message on the Lord's Day morning and we all sit. God's way is the way of the body with every member being indispensable, every member being irreplaceable, every member having a function having a portion. So we must overcome the entire degraded clergy-laity system and build up the body of Christ by this functioning. Then if we see that the church life is a necessary procedure, but the goal is the building up of the body and the reality of the body, this will eventually become our goal. 
Because it's God's. It's God's will, so it becomes our will. It's God's goal, so it becomes our goal. And now we live for this. To contribute to this. Would it not be wonderful? When you met the Lord, when we all have to give an account, and He says to you, your living on earth contributed to the fulfillment of the desire of my heart. Your living in the church life was a factor in the direct building up of the body of Christ. You did the Father's will. I welcome you into the wedding feast, into the joy of the Lord. In order for us to have the complete context of what we're trying to consider from Romans 8, we need to spend several minutes now to trace the deep divine thought woven into the book of Romans. We'll go step by step. Then once I've traced it, I'll name it for you, but I think in your spirit you'll already know what it is. We start with chapter 8, verse 3. <clears throat> God sending His own Son in the likeness of the flesh of sin and concerning sin, condemned sin in the flesh. God sending His own Son in the likeness of the flesh of sin. This is God becoming man. John 1, chapter 1. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Verse 14. The Word became flesh. This is God becoming a human being. This is the fulfillment of John 3. God gave His only begotten Son. So we begin here. God, for the fulfillment of His purpose, to have the church as His corporate expression, sent His Son and came in the Son. John 14 makes this very clear. The Son said, The Father is in me. So this is God becoming man. Then we go back to the first chapter of Romans, where Paul says he separated unto the gospel of God concerning his Son. And he says in verses 3 and 4, concerning his son, 
who came out of the seed of David according to the flesh. This is the Lord's humanity. He was a descendant of David. So according to the flesh, he came out of the seed of David, verse 4, who was designated the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, out of the resurrection of the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. What is this? When God became a man named Jesus, the Son of God in His humanity became the Son of Man. The human part, the flesh, was simply human. The humanity was not yet divine. But when the God-man Jesus was resurrected, He, in and with His humanity, was designated the Son of God in a second sense. In the eternal Godhead, the Son remains forever, the only begotten Son. But we will see shortly that verses speak of Him as the firstborn Son. How can this happen? How can the only begotten Son have brothers? Well, in God's economy, God became a man, the Son of Man. This God-man died and shed His blood for our redemption. Then He was buried. When He was resurrected, He was designated the Son of God, not only in and with His divinity, but also in and with His humanity. His humanity was uplifted into the divine sonship. Now forever, the Son of God remains the God-man, the only begotten Son in the Godhead, yet the firstborn in God's economy. So we go back now to chapter 8, verse 29, which says this, because those whom He, God, foreknew, He also predestinated to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now there are many brothers. Now there's the firstborn. The many brothers of Christ in resurrection are the sons of God mentioned in Romans 8.14. They are the many sons being brought into glory mentioned in Hebrews 2.10. On the day of His resurrection, the Lord told that dear-seeking sister 
go to my brothers. I now have brothers. How can the only begotten son have brothers? That's not possible in the Godhead. But in God's economy, the God-man in resurrection has millions of twin brothers. And these brothers are the sons of God. Did you notice the word predestinated? In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5, Paul says we were predestinated unto sonship. This is incredible. Before the, anything was created, no universe, no angels, not even space and time, only God. <clears throat> God had a will, something He wanted to do. In His will is what Paul calls God's good pleasure, the desire of God's heart. Based upon His will, with His good pleasure, God in Christ the Son formed His purpose. And for this, He chose us to be holy, and He predestinated us unto sonship. Without even asking you for your consent, He decided you will be created, you will be holy as God is holy, and you will be a son of God. You will have the life and nature of God. Only God is holy. You were chosen to be holy. Read Ephesians 1.4. You were predestinated unto sonship. Read verse 5. This is God's decision as God. Are you not realizing that when God is determined to do something, He will in fact do it? This is a little sidebar that may come out in the summer training. But we need to know and honor God as God. Who has His ways which are higher than our ways. For a number of mornings, early in the morning before it was my time to care for my wife under hospice care to replace the serving one who was there during the night. I was with the Lord slowly reading that little booklet Worshipping the Ways of God. How different are His ways and our ways, His timing, His thoughts that we need to eventually not only submit to them, but worship Him. Worship Him as God. So God as God foreknew all of us, chose all of us, predestinated all of us. He knew angels would be created. He knew one would rebel. He foresaw everything. He knew there would have to be redemption. But it was determined 
we will be the same as God in life, as sons in nature, as holy ones, for his eternal corporate expression, period. And if we fast forward to the end of the Bible, what do you have? A new heaven and a new earth with a corporate person, the wife of the Lamb, the holy city, shining with God's glory, composed of glorified sons of God. There it is. So Paul traced this thought. God sent His Son. God became a man. The Son of God now was the Son of Man. In resurrection, His humanity was divinized, was glorified, and brought into the divine sonship. Now the Son of God is not only the only begotten, He is the firstborn with both divinity and humanity. That is man becoming God. So the God-man Jesus is God becoming man through incarnation and man becoming God through resurrection. Now the plan is to duplicate this resurrected God-man God -man, to have millions of brothers conformed to His image. So that's where we are at this point. But Romans just directly confronts the fact that there are only us sinners on the earth. That's all. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is the contradiction of the image in Genesis 1.26. According to 1 John 3.4, sin is lawlessness, rebellion against the principle of government. That contradicts dominion in Genesis 1.26. So now the human beings, God chose to be holy, and God predestinated unto sonship, are now sinners under the righteous judgment of God. Then what will God do? God sent His Son in the likeness of the flesh of sin and concerning sin, condemned in the flesh. And when our beloved Savior was on the cross, He fulfilled in our place, all the requirements of God's righteousness, holiness, and glory. Instead of we dying, He died in our place. Therefore, God can righteously forgive all of us and can righteously justify all of us because our Lord Jesus paid the price for our redemption. God is righteous. Whatever He does is right. He cannot act contrary to His righteousness no matter how much He loves us. 
Paul says in Romans 1, the gospel of God is the power of God unto salvation because the righteousness of God is revealed in it. So our Lord Jesus, the righteous, died on behalf of the unrighteous. And we know from the last verse in Romans 4 that when God raised Jesus from the dead, He raised Him for our justification. That is, the resurrection of Jesus is God's declaration to the whole universe. I have accepted the death of my Son on your behalf. That's all I ask you to do is to believe in your heart that I raised Him from the dead and to confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. Praise the Lord! So now God has a way to fulfill His eternal purpose to have the body of Christ composed of holy sons. He can do this, and He can do it not with perfect, unfallen human beings, but He can take sinners, children of the devil, redeem them, and save them to the uttermost. You consider, won't this be a shock and a shame to the enemy? For the Lord to say, when He has the overcomers, He may summon the enemy to Him to say, I'm, I'm returning now with my bride. I ask you to examine them. Can you find fault in them? I cannot. You poisoned them. You satanified them. You ruined them. You corrupted them. You destroyed them. But I redeemed them. Not only redeemed them, I saved them to the uttermost. And now they are exactly the same as I am. And in, in 1 Thessalonians 3, Paul says our hearts will present, be presented blameless in holiness. I'm not trying to explain even to understand God's ways, but it seems to me that God gets more glory in fulfilling His purpose with redeemed sinners than if He didn't have any problem at all that enabled Him to manifest His wisdom. So in the first part of Romans, we see redemption. We see propitiation, the satisfaction of God's requirements. Our justification we are declared righteous in Christ and our reconciliation. Sadly, so many of our dear brothers and sisters in Christ, they stop here because their leaders stop here. You're forgiven. 
you are justified by faith. You are reconciled to God. You will spend eternity with the Lord somewhere. No view of God's purpose. So they stopped before a crucial turn in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, a verse that says, much more we shall be saved in His life. Do you know what that means? That means we're all going to be saved in the life of the resurrected Christ. So, I look to the Lord to strengthen your faith a little. I don't know how you feel about your condition, your situation. Let me ask you with tenderness, do you really think that there's anything about you, anything in you, that can withstand the saving life of Christ. Look, Paul, the Lord took the worst sinner and made him the pattern. And he worked this complete salvation out in this great sinner as if to say, if I can take a murderer and make him a mature son, don't you think I can do that with you mediocre sinners? <laughs> we need to have the faith to declare there's nothing in our past, there's no weakness in our being that will ultimately withstand the much more salvation. What we need to do is really simple. Just let the Lord save you. We shall be saved in His life. Not only that, but in chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says, We will reign in life. We receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. Now to complete this, so here we are, all of us. Our sins are forgiven. That means they're forgotten. God is bound by the new covenant, not to remember our sins. How God can forget, I don't know, but I'm glad He doesn't remember. Maybe one time when you are reconfessing, just to be sure you were thorough, you're now reconfessing something, and the Lord interrupts your reconfession to say, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember that. I just praise the Lord for His forgetfulness of this one matter. Now we are all clothed with the garment of righteousness. 
We are all children of God, as Romans 8.16 testifies. Now what the Lord wants to do every day is to save us a little more. To sanctify us. To renew us. To transform us. To conform us. And to glorify us. And for this, he wants us to experience two things. The first of these two is in Romans 11. That speaks of grafting. And Paul likens us to a wild olive tree. And there's this cultivated olive tree over here. But we're from a wild olive tree. So when we believed into the Lord, the Spirit cut us out of that wild olive tree. Now we're not part of the wild olive tree, but we're still a wild branch. Okay? But the wild branch is now grafted into the cultivated olive tree. And what does this branch do? It just lets the life of the cultivated olive tree flow into itself as the branch. It doesn't try to behave differently like how do you act in a cultivated olive tree? How are you supposed to be? All of that's religion. That's ethics. You are just one with Christ as this olive tree and you open your inner being and let His life flow into you and through you. That life will deal with every negative thing in your being. That life will uplift your created and redeemed humanity. That life will resurrect all of your capacities. And that life will bring you into the reality of the body of Christ. Then the second thing, and we'll, this will come out when we read the outline, which we will do shortly, is to realize we are vessels of mercy. I don't know Hebrew, but I remember studying, and one of the commentaries pointed out that in Genesis, the verse that says the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, that Verb reformed in Hebrew refers to a potter forming a vessel shaken. I don't know when was the last time you saw yourself in a full length mirror. I certainly don't encourage you to do this for vanity, but maybe to do it again to realize yeah, I really do look like a bottle. I mean, there's the opening here, and there's a container. We're vessels. That's what a human being is. We were created as vessels. The Lord is the potter. And in Romans 9, Paul says something very particular about us as vessels. He calls us vessels of mercy. We are vessels of mercy prepared unto glory. 
as some of us know, our dear brother Nee suffered continuously in various ways throughout the course of his life. And for a period of time, because of opposition, his ministry was set aside for a number of years. Then there was a turn, and his ministry was resumed. And we have printed a volume of messages under the designation, The Resumption of Watchman Nee's Ministry. And the first message is on mercy. And I don't have the words to describe how much that message means to me personally. Mercy reaches much farther than grace. Mercy is for those who have no excuse no defense, no standing at all before God. All the authority, all the right is on God's side. We have no excuse. We have no position to claim anything. But God simply chooses to be merciful. And this is the main point in that message. Also in Romans, this is the basis for Brother Nee speaking, Paul says, it is not of the one who wills, nor of the one who runs, but of God, the one who shows mercy. And Brother Nee says, at least one time in our life. We need to have the realization that everything depends on God's mercy. I'm not exaggerating. I am alive physically because the Lord had mercy on me. If He was only righteous, I wouldn't be here. I couldn't stand. That's why it's part of the kingdom life to be blessed, to be merciful, to be merciful. So we were created to be vessels that we all became damaged and were usurped by the enemy of God. But God is rich in mercy. That's Ephesians 2. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. So there are times when the only prayer that comes forth is for mercy. I remember being visiting my parents when they were still alive 
and I went into a souvenir store owned and operated by some real believers. And they had a poster there. And it said something like this. I prayed for justice, for righteousness. And then I remembered myself. And I prayed for mercy. Our God is rich in mercy. Some of the most tender hymns in our hymnal on the worship of the Father are worshiping Him for His mercy. So in His mercy, I am looking at a few hundred vessels ordained for glory. That means you're going to be filled with the divine life until the Lord shines out of you. And then the last matter. How do the vessels receive the divine dispensing? The vessels open their mouth and then in a very personal way they simply call Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Oh Lord Jesus. I love you, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, save me today. I need a Savior. The Lord is rich to all who call. What we've been tracing is really the high peak of the divine revelation. God became man, Romans 8.3. Man became God in resurrection, Romans 1.3 and 4. This resurrected God-man is the pattern, Romans 8.29. We will be conformed to His image by being saved in His life and receiving the divine dispensing so here we are at the title of message two, the living of the sons of God in the dispensing of the triune God as life. See, right now, we're all living by dispensing, simply by breathing. And breathing is not exciting. What would be exciting is if we all stopped breathing for a minute. That would be exciting. So that's even a picture of our spirit inwardly breathing in the Lord, receiving Him breath by breath. And this is where we're headed, brothers and sisters, sooner or later. We will live by Him one breath at a time. Those that are young, just let them be young. Let us not make them prematurely old. Let them be strong. Let them be energetic. Let them pray big prayers, bold prayers, burning prayers. I really mean it. Give them the freedom to be just where they are in the Lord. But 
eventually we can't do that any longer. We don't have the energy. We don't have whatever. And the Lord simplifies us. We just pray, Lord Jesus. Lord, I love you. Lord, I need you. Now, I want to make one distinction regarding two aspects of dispensing. Then we'll read through the outline. And I would conveniently use this glass of water to illustrate. It may be that our concept of dispensing is limited. There's something outside of us. Whether it's food, it's water. So dispensing means an element that's outside of us gets into us. That is dispensing. I don't know if you had breakfast, but suppose you had breakfast or the last meal you had. There's the food outside of you. And you make some selections and you take the food in. That's dispensing. But do you live by the food that you're that's in your mouth, you do not. That's where the taste is. And do you live by the food that's in your stomach? You do not. The first stage of dispensing is the food is outside of you. Then it enters into you. So something objective becomes subjective to you. This could be the end of our understanding. But what happens, and I don't know physiology, is that the food in your stomach doesn't remain there. It needs to be processed, to be digested, then to be assimilated, and to be imparted into your cells. That is also a dispensing. Where something already subjective becomes even more subjective. Yeah, I have a reason for mentioning this. There is a, a certain dear person I know. He must be very close to 80 now. And he has his own view of things and has taken his own way. But his practice has been to devour life studies. He even told his wife, if you don't read two life study messages every day, I won't talk to you. So I don't know if she force yourself to read two life studies or say, fine, I don't want you to talk to me. <laughs> but he read all these, but he hasn't grown. Because something in his being interferes with the digestion. It isn't normal for a child 
to eat substantial food supply and then never grow. So yes, the message is, the Word, there it is. We pray it into us. That's the start. But everything hinges on what happens then. Are we experiencing normal digestion? So that what is in your spirit, the life supply that is in your spirit, is able to flow into all of the inward parts of your being. So sisters, that life supply, you are allowing to penetrate every aspect of your emotions. Of your mind of your memories. Some are held back in their Christian life, in their church life, by memories. Our mind needs to be open so that the Spirit with the life supply can enter into all of our thoughts, all of our concepts, all of our imaginations, all of our memories. And our will, with its intentions, whatever. So a crucial word now for the rest of the message this morning is a very simple word. That is open. Open. Not just open to the Lord visualized as objective. Lord, I'd like to take you in. The Lord has come into your spirit. Now, what will happen? In 1981, Brother Lee conducted and limited it to Orange County, what he called a perfecting training. He wouldn't release those messages for quite a while anywhere, not even to Texas. And this was the basis of the training, how he opened it. He asked this question. Does your growth in life match the length of time you have been in the Lord's recovery? And none of us could say, yes, yes, surely I'm normal in the growth in life. None of us could say that. So his burden was to help us to understand those elements within us that were hindering the growth in life. And here's a real case. This was a training. And he would perfect brothers openly by name, specifically. I do know that from direct experience. And in one meeting, he called a brother by name who had been his co-worker in the Philippines in the 50s. And he said, you have not grown an inch in 30 years. I think most of us 
would have been humble to the uttermost. He would have been desperate before the Lord. Eventually would have been thankful to Brother Lee and asked him for help. But this brother's disposition was to make light of everything. So, eight years later, he left in that turmoil to be part of the division. Then in about 1995, I saw him again. It's now about 45 years. No change. And someone who knew him from youth told me he got cancer, it was incurable, and even in the last week of his life, he was still going out to have a good time eating Chinese food. This is a dear brother, a beloved brother. He is there as an example that what can happen to someone when they stop growing. Brotherly did his best to touch the factors in him that were swallowing up all the nourishment. But for us, it's really quite simple. What is our greatest need, and I'm not exaggerating, is to live a life of increased openness to the Lord. To be vessels open to Him. And I realize some dear sensitive saints, if I encourage them to pray, Lord, I open myself to You, that while they're praying that prayer, they're kind of doubting themselves. Lord, am I really opening to you or not? So I'd like to give you a backup prayer. Okay? And the backup prayer is, Lord, cause me, help me to fully open to you. In that big book, Perfecting Training, there is a classic message entitled, Vessels Open to the Lord. And Brother Lee says there that Paul's 14 epistles can be summarized in two words. Open vessels. Open vessels. The Lord on His part has been processed and consummated to be the Spirit as breath and water to gently, gradually dispense himself into us all the time. What he needs on our part is simply an opening to tell him in all sincerity, Lord, you may touch any part of me you want. You may go to any part of my being that you want to go. My prayer, Lord, is that before I finish the end of my course, you have 
fully gained me inwardly. Now I'm going to testify something. It's something I believe because I trust the discernment of this beloved brother to whom I'm related in the Lord. It was on January 7th that my wife received in our presence a full assessment of her health condition. There had been no symptoms. It came as a total surprise. Uh, the cancer had originated probably in the lower GI tract. It was in the lungs, the pancreas, the liver, the brain. It was uncurable. And she's there receiving me. The oncologist told us she has only weeks. That was in the late afternoon. But I was there with my daughter and son. We just saw the peace. The rest in the Lord. Then that evening, Brother Benson came with Brother Ed Marks and his wife to fellowship with her. And they were encouraged. And this is what Brother Ed said to me. He said, Ron, Susan's whole inner being is full of light. And he referred to Luke 11. No dark part, full of light. So I have reason to believe as we spent the time from January 7th to March 9th to see her there at peace full of thankfulness. Her daughter asked her mother, are you you have a problem with the Lord because you're sick? She said, no. I have no problem. The daughter asked her while she was still in the hospital, are you ready to go to be with the Lord? And her mother said, Becky, I devoted my whole life to getting ready to meet the Lord. Sure, I'm ready. I do not overstep to presume to the Son of Man's right to make the judgment and the assessment. But according to my observation, she didn't just pass away. She finished her course. The Lord gained what he wanted. Now, if the Lord would show us that his burden is to have the reality of the body of Christ expressed in the local churches now. If we see this and link that goal to wherever we are, humanly and spiritually, then we can pray, Lord, for the sake of the body, I open myself 
to receive your continuous dispensing. Little by little. A lot can happen in a day. A lot can happen in a week. A lot can happen during two months of hospice care. When a vessel is simply open to receive the dispensing of the triune God as life. It's so simple. Just let him enter. Let him go where he wants to go. Let him do what he wants to do. Like I said last night, if you're a little afraid about what he may do, then you tell him, I'm afraid, I've been hurt before, then the Lord, he will wait, then he'll cherish you, he will nourish you, he will shepherd you, then you'll try again, and you'll say, okay, you can go there now. It's very sweet. And very personal. No one can do this for you. Like no one's breathing for you, right? Even a billionaire. I think Bill Gates even breathed for himself, right? You can't hire a surrogate to do it. So let me read the outline now. The triune God created a tripartite man to be a living vessel to contain him as life that he may express himself in humanity. Not by humanity, but in humanity. So the expression will be divinely human. God is expressed, but in a human being. The basic teaching of the scriptures is that we are vessels created in the image of God. To receive God. To contain God. And to be one with God. I believe we can all do this. Start with receiving. Then contain Him. Then learn to be one with Him. Okay? You want to say this? He doesn't. Learn to be one with Him. Man was created in the image of God to receive God as life. And to contain God as a life for the reproduction, the duplication of God in life. John 12, 24. The one grain produces many grains. We're not the duplication of God in the Godhead. My children do not have my fatherhood, but they have my life. We do not have God's Godhood but we have his life in nature. Romans 8 unveils to us how the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, dispenses himself as life into our tripartite being, spirit, soul, and body. So this is what Paul discovered. Romans 8 can be considered the most profound chapter in the Bible. This chapter is profound in the revelation that God is triune, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and that the triune God is working himself 
into our tripartite being. Verse 11, if the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit which dwells in you. The one who raised Jesus from the dead is God the Father. Jesus is the one raised from the dead. And the Spirit is the Spirit of the one who raised him. There is the triune God wanting to give life to your mortal body. Now, if you are 22, you can bench press 400 pounds. You can sprint the 40 and 4.2. Then probably you don't have the sense that your body is mortal. It's okay. You just be immortal for as long as you can hold out. But eventually, we will realize that our body is mortal. And although our body cannot become life until we are transfigured, some of us brothers that are not young, we can still travel around and have conferences because the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead gives life to these mortal bodies. That's the triune God right there giving life to your mortal body. In Romans 8, we see the trinity of the Godhead. We see the process through which the triune God has passed. And we have a clear view of our spiritual experience. First spirit, then the soul, then the body. In verse 11, we have the triune God the process required for his dispensing and the dispensing of himself as life into the believers. When we put together verses 10, 6, and 11, we not only see that our spirit is life and that our mind is life, if it is set on the spirit, but we also see that life may be given to our mortal body through the spirit. Okay, let me just check with you. Do you really believe Verse 10 of Romans 8. It says, your spirit is life. It doesn't say your spirit is alive. It doesn't say your spirit is living. No, your spirit is alive. And your spirit is living. But the verse says, your spirit is life. Now, another question about your spirit, which is a mingled spirit now. Your regenerated spirit, is it human or is it divine? Well, it's human because it's your human spirit. But the divine spirit, the spirit of life, has entered into your spirit and mingled with it as one spirit. So your spirit is not only human, it is now divine. So in your spirit, you're a God-man. Whenever you're in the Spirit, you're a God-person. So in order to impart life to somebody, you don't have to say lofty spiritual things. I know this sister has outgrown it, but she felt she had to be real spiritual in answering the phones. So 
She'd answer the phone and she would say, praise the process and consummated triune God who is now the Spirit working Himself into us to make us the same as He is in life and nature to produce and build up the body of Christ consummating the new Jerusalem in the new heaven and the new earth. Hello. <laughs> Whenever I called Brother Lee, he simply said, Hello. <laughs> and sometimes... When we greet each other, it's okay just to say, hi. Because whenever you speak from your spirit, life flows. Because your spirit is life, you set the mind on the spirit, your mind is life. Wow. The triune God dispenses into our spirit by the spirit's regenerating of our spirit with Christ's life, to make our spirit life. The dispensing God spreads His dispensing into our mind, the leading part of our soul, to make our soul life. Eventually, you express a thought in conversation from a mind set on the spirit. Your thoughts will impart life. You express a feeling, it will impart life. A sister approached me in the hall shortly after my wife went to the Lord. Young sister. I could tell she was full of concern. She said, I don't know what to say. I told her, there's no need to say anything. None of us knows what to say. Just the fact that you care ministers life. Right? Three, through our soul, the triune dispensing of the process, triune God, permeates further into our mortal body by the indwelling spirit to dispense life into our body. The divine dispensing saturates us in our tripartite being, spirit, soul, and body, making every part of alive and saving us from death in all three parts. I need to be saved from death every day. I don't know how you wake up in the morning. Maybe you wake up like a hind let loose. You're in Song of Songs chapter 2, leaping and skipping on the mountains. I grope to consciousness. Then I ask myself, where am I? In what time zone? In what part of the earth? And then I make a decision to go from horizontal to vertical and then the day begins again with turning to the Lord, contacting Him, and let life swallow up death. Yeah. D, the dispensing of the triune God is life into our tripartite being is according to His righteousness through His holiness and unto His glory. The dispensing of the triune God is according to God's righteousness. The dispensing of the triune God takes place through His holiness, the dispensing of the triune God issues in glory God's expression. The way to experience the dispensing of the triune God as life is to open our entire being to the Lord and call upon His name. In the Christian life, nothing is more crucial than the constant receiving of the Spirit by keeping ourselves open to the Lord 
and calling upon the name of the Lord. We need to love the Lord and keep ourselves open to Him, giving Him every opportunity to do everything He wants to. Now, just a brief word to those that are younger, but to all of us. If I were to speak to you concerning consecration, giving your life to the Lord, you might say, I'm kind of frightened by this because if I consecrate to the Lord, difficult things will happen to me. Okay. So let me respond this way. If you consecrate yourself to the Lord, difficult things will happen to you. And if you did not consecrate yourself to the Lord, difficult things will happen to you. Because that's human life. So since difficult things will happen to you, why not just forget about it and simply give yourself to the Lord? So that, and you know I'm being truthful to you, so that whatever, whatever happens to you contributes to the Lord's increasing in you for the body of Christ. Just learn to stay open to Him. The ultimate goal of the dispensing of the triune God is life is that God would be expressed through the body of Christ. The experience of the divine dispensing in Romans 8, issues in the body life in Romans 12, don't try to know the body don't try to live in the body. Don't try that. Just live in Romans 8. Keep yourself open. Get saturated with the triune God. And little by little you'll realize, I'm a member of the body. I can't live without the body. I'm living for the building up of the body. This is God's goal. This is the Lord's recovery. This is the meaning of our life. So please pray with someone for about a minute. Then we've got about 20 minutes. It would be good if we could limit our sharing to about a minute or less to confirm the word. So please pray and then share.